everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Things I Haven't Even Told My Therapist. This week, we'll be having on my high school coach, Mike Langle. He and I will be discussing his approach to coaching in the modern era, focusing on things such as mindfulness and positivity. But before we get into all that, I want to share with you my own story about Coach Langle. I had grown up playing for a super competitive peewee program. The high school we were based under had a long history of wiping through the entire field of competition on their way to win state championship after state championship. As an individual who had always turned out to be one of the better players on each of those teams, when I got to playing for Lakeside, where I was now one of the only kids in my class who had even played football before high school, some would say I had a bit of a chip on my shoulder, whereas others would less delicately put it that I was a cocky asshole. Coach Langle was my position coach at wide receiver my freshman year, as well as the head coach of the JV team that I was on for only the first two games. At that point, our philosophies were on such different pages, because where I was getting used to not mercy ruling the other team every game, he was working on developing players and rewarding hard work. This came to a head in the last couple games, where we were in garbage time, and he kept giving minutes to a junior that was truly awful but incredibly coachable and worked his butt off. Now, in hindsight, this makes absolute sense, and I will be the first to admit it. But at the time, as a shitty 15-year-old, this was absolute insanity. Fast forward, I had taken a couple months off from my membership to the team before rejoining right at the start of my sophomore fall camp, with a whole lot of extra weight and a destiny in playing the lines. Turned out that a large number of my class had similar thoughts as far as quitting, but did not make the same decision to return in favor of such things as pursuing a career in baseball that would result in them becoming one of the most exciting MLB recruits in a decade. So... Not going to blame anyone for that decision. Thus, I was one of two kids from my class that returned from the year before, and our numbers were short. At one point that season, our team was down to 17 eligible players, and we were getting demolished. The following spring, our head coach at the time showed that he would not be returning the following season, and that Coach Lang would be stepping in as the interim head coach. That experience freshman year, losing time to that older kid, had still left me with some sour grapes, and again I told my dad I was going to quit talked me down and gave me some big spiel about how sometimes in life you're not going to like your boss, but that doesn't change that you got to do the work. It'll be a good experience for you. Hard ass. But anyway, I listened to him, and over the next several months of summer, I worked my ass off and was granted a spot as captain upon the start of the fall season. Over the next two years playing for Coach Langle, I continued to struggle with my mental health in silence. But in his teachable moments, whether it was focusing on the positive or taking a mindful breath to center yourself, I began finding solace on the football field in a way I hadn't since I had just started playing at the age of eight. That season, we posted an 8-2 record, and our school finally opened its eyes to the football program again, a team which used to get clowned on by our admitted dynasty of an ultimate Frisbee program. But yeah, that was where we were at before. The rebuild was on track. I returned for my senior year and collaborated and communicated with Coach the entire way through to get out as many athletes from other teams as possible. We had moved up a division and had a solid season, and I can proudly say that I finished my high school career on a high note. When I moved on to the college level, I began to struggle with my desire to play and identity as an athlete. When I got home for winter break my freshman year, I returned to my room and found the senior night poster put together by our team moms with a blurb written by the coaches, part of which read, His teammates know him as both a vocal leader and a leader by example, and his coaches know him for his never-quit attitude, his fully-bought-in approach towards leadership, and his unmistakable love for the game. And as I read that, I began to cry uncontrollably because I knew that I just wasn't that kid described there anymore. I reached out to Coach as he had previously shared his experiences struggling similarly when he arrived at the college level. 
He gave me advice and we kept in touch as I tried to fight back through it and continue my career. But then COVID happened and the rest is history. Before their most recent season, Coach texted me that they had over 60 kids signed up for the program. I don't even remember the last time I heard of that program with even close to that number of participants. I lost my mind and texted everyone I could. I was so pumped that it had come this far. There is no way this would have been even close to possible without his leadership and his practices of being attentive to the whole athlete off and on the field. So, I hope you enjoy this interview with my friend and one of the most thoughtful, collected coaches that I have ever met, Mike Langle. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Connor. So obviously everybody knows your, your history at, at Lakeside, knows your story as the coach here, but I want to get back to the roots. So I, I, I was sort of hoping you could detail some of your own experiences growing up as an athlete and particularly which ones were the most formative in the person you are today. Yeah. So I grew up in central Pennsylvania and it's kind of like footballville USA out there. It was, it's, it's heavy sports all around where I'm from, but, uh, football kind of reigns there. And uh, I was an okay football player, uh, but I played all kinds of sports growing up, soccer, wrestling, basketball, baseball, football. I was an okay football player enough to be able to go play college football at a state school in Pennsylvania there. I wouldn't, you know, I thought a lot about this question. I wouldn't say that, I think because my interests were for the most part elsewhere, I wouldn't say that I had any formative like athletic experiences that really stuck out to me, at least ones, not ones that were super positive. I wasn't really a part of any like teams that I still remember. I don't really have a lot of like high school or even college teammates that I continue to keep in touch with. I was just kind of like, to be honest with you, kind of going through some motions, (laughs) you know, through a lot of that. And so, I mean, rather than point out like maybe one or a few different experiences, I think that the experience in general, I think, helped me become who I am today. And that only happened usually through like the benefit of hindsight from it, you know, being able to, once I started coaching, being able to look back at my high school career or my college career and say like, here's what I would do differently if I were a player and here's what I, here's the type of coaching that I responded to and didn't respond to. There were, you know, there were, my high school football team was really good. My college football team was not. Uh, so like there were different experiences there that I think competitively maybe helped shape who I am as a coach, as a person, but there weren't really any like particularly formative moments, at least ones that I was a part of, um, that really shaped. I think, I think most of it came from being able to reflect on some of that experiences kind of helped shape who I am as at least as far as the coach goes. So it's kind of a lame answer, but. <laughs> so I guess you sort of alluded to it a little bit, but how, how would you say those particularly shaped your, your coaching philosophy and, and really how you are as a guide and a leader? That was where I really started to think about it, I think, for the first time was I started, I mean, I started coaching just as like a side gig to earn a couple extra dollars, uh, but I fell in love with it pretty quickly and when it became like the path, like the thing that I wanted to do with, with at least the rest of my life for the foreseeable future, I, I needed to sort of figure out what coach I wanted to become. And I think a lot of coaches would say that without any like coaching experience, your first couple of years, you coach kids the way that you were coached. Um, Cause that's the only way that you know how. 
And so I came from, like I said, a high school program that was really good and had a long history of winning and um, still has a big tradition of uh, Friday Night Lights, Central PA football. And so the coach that I played for was a, a good, a really good football coach and a really good guy, but wasn't necessarily the type of coach that uh, like really spoke to me, you know? He, he definitely spoke to our starters and he spoke to the up and coming. You know, he was a good figurehead of the program. He actually uh, passed away relatively recently too. Um, and that like sent, speaks to the type of coach that he was. It sent like ripples through. So it made it all the way out to the West Coast that I heard about it. But he wasn't necessarily the type of coach that like spoke to me, at least, at least knowing what I know now about myself. Um, so that there was that experience. Then I went to college and those college football coaches, it's their job to win football games, high school football. It's more of a job to shape young people. Like you said, college football coaches, it's their job to win football games. They'll do whatever they need to do to make sure that happens. Um, so <laughs> language barriers were erased as far as like what coaches could say and could say to athletes once you got into college. They, you know, they expect you when you're playing, I think probably any college sport to, um, treat it like it's a job, a full-time job on top of um, being a full-time student. Uh, and so like, if you're late to practice or if you're not holding up your end of the bargain on one end, you're going to hear about it. And I think philosophies just change. So anyway, I started coaching high school football and I started saying like, well, here were the ways that I was coached. That must be how you coached. And I like just, I think I remember like on my second day, like having a freak out and yelling at yelling at some kid for like doing something so stupid, like something so like running a wrong route or something like really doesn't matter. And I, just the way, but I just felt awful about it. Like from that moment on, I just felt terrible. And I it was, it rode with me through the rest of the day, through the rest of the week. And I would like look at that kid and that kid, some kids responded to tough coaching like that. And that kid, I'd probably, if I ran into that kid again and he was like, Oh yeah, second day you told me, you know, that I, needed to grow up and that I was immature because I ran a slant instead of a post or something like that. I don't know, whatever I said to the kid, uh, probably never thought twice about it, but it stuck with me for a while. And I think that was where I started to realize that maybe I didn't get the type of coaching that I want to be. And so that kind of led me down, you know, and that's, again, that's not to say that any of the coaches that I had were bad people or bad coaches, but it just, it wasn't the type of, now that I have the benefit of hindsight, it's not the type of coach that I want to be. And so you had, I had to go and like do research on like who, who are coaches that are doing it different ways. Um, and I had some help with assistant coaches that I was able to work with. And uh, Casey Selfridge, the guy that was the football program head here, and I, he and I really talked a lot about positive coaching and coming from a positive place using positive reinforcement rather than like negative punishment-based stuff. So it took, a, I mean, it took a while and I'm still working on it. I, I fully will admit to that this last football season, uh, I had a horrible year as far as like being the example that I want to be. My patience was really thin all season for some reason and something I got to do some work on. But I feel like it took me a while and it's still, there's a lot of work to do to like live up to that idea of if I were being coached by myself, how would I, how would I hope that I act? You know, what are the types of things that I would say? Um, how would I approach me when I've got other things going on outside of football, which I did in high school and uh, my head coach in high school didn't really understand that and care about that. But that's not who, again, I, I want somebody to come to me and say, coach, I have this jazz performance that I got to be at. So I'm in mispractice and me be coming from a place where I can say, okay, I understand. And where can we make up that work so that you're not losing one or the other? It shouldn't be one or the other. It should be a together type of thing. So I want to sort of bring that attitude, uh, 
and I'm still working on figuring out. I didn't have that example as a player, as an athlete myself. And so only 12 years into this as a coach, uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. Awesome. Well, I think that really speaks a ton to uh, one of the reasons you connect so well with so many of your players. And honestly, coming from my own background of football and really being coached by you is such a unique experience. And I think it's because you're trying to pay mind to all these newer, more relevant issues of like really being mindful of the holistic yeah. athlete. And I think another sort of newer thing that you brought to the program and brought to really all of us, and it's something that I know a lot of us that have played for you still think about and still are really grateful for the opportunity to go through was all the work with doctor slash coach Kevin Elschler. Yeah. Really, before we get into his practices and everything, I really just wanted to know uh, what your process was as far as bringing him on and what inspired that, because I think mindfulness is a thing that, particularly in football and particularly in a lot of men's sports, you don't, you don't see a lot come up. And yeah. I, I think that was one of the major proponents of what made both your coaching so successful as far as reaching all of us and really getting the show on the road. Yeah. Well, thank you, first of all. Um, <laughs> it's really, really nice of you to say, and I appreciate it. But you're, you're absolutely right that I was, I had a lot of like examples that I was reading about and watching videos of and, you know, all kinds of and trying to model myself after, but it wasn't really until I started working on a more professional in a more professional way with Dr. Al Schuller. He had actually spoken. I met him first. He'd actually spoken at a Lakeside professional, like a coach's professional development night a couple of years prior to me becoming the head coach. And uh, we connected that, we connected that night about, I don't even think his pro, I think his, his, his program was more about like communication then and how like athletes and coaches should be communicating with each other. And he used this really cool, like, he comes from the crew world. So he used this really cool analogy of how like person number eight in a boat communicates with person number one, like in the middle of a race or who these people, you know, how they, sh how they should be communicating and things like that. And I remember that resonated with me as uh, football, obviously also being a sport with, you know, player 11 needs to communicate with player number one and stuff like that. Um, but it wasn't so much about mindfulness. And so I wasn't even thinking about that word. And I was, I was one of those people that probably didn't think it was a word that belonged in in the football dialogue. Uh, but then a couple of years later, he and I connected again when, was it after the, like the season with, I think you were a sophomore. Yeah. You were a sophomore, like 15 players on the team or something like that. And he reached, he actually reached back out and he said, or maybe it was even the season before that. And he was like, I just wanted to offer up some help. I'm, I just want to be involved. I, you know, I, he has connections to Lakeside through his family and some other people anyway. So he was just offering up a chance to be involved. And so I met with him a couple of times to talk about like what mindfulness meant uh, in sports. That was his pitch was like athletes and his background in sports psychology is all coming from a place of like um, the more an athlete or even a person can be present with a moment, the more likely they are to react in a, in a way that helps them move to the next moment. It's never about like, outcome based. So he's never, his line of thinking and the way that I'm learning about it is it's never about like the way that you react now is going to help you win a football game. It's more like the more that you can react this way continuously is going to help you win a football game or win a crew race or help you. His work and professionally is in like pain management through people that have diseases and things like that. And so it's all about like um, whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, like living in this moment of whatever it is, experiencing it fully and then moving to the next thing, um, but not moving to the next thing, carrying that last moment with you or, or thinking about the 
the future moments or anything like that. And so that actually, it uh, translated really easily because football is such a stop and start type of sport that we were able to really translate it as like, you can't take first down with you into second down or some football cliche like that. And from that point on, we just sort of, uh, I think when I took over as head coach, he became like officially more involved and he spoke mostly with the coaching staff at that point. But then as a season, you know, he's the expert on it. We can only, we can only translate what he says so much. So then we started having him occasionally speak to uh, the kids as a group, as you remember. And, and yeah, it's just his ability to sort of translate what his work uh, professionally is and where his specialization is and his background of working with other sports. He's worked with our basketball teams here. He's worked with the Seattle Seawolves, like the professional rugby team. He's worked with all types of college rowing programs, um, individual athletes probably too, and then our program as well. And it's just been, it's been the type of work that I think a lot of programs can benefit from. And we just happen to get really lucky and have him included in our program because of some connections that we've made elsewhere. And so, yeah, that's sort of how it started. If that's the that's the long answer to that question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then as I mean, obviously now that, now that it's been a been a process from there getting it started. Well, if you could really pinpoint even one or two particular things that you personally took the most away from as far as his teachings and your your work with him, what what ways have you really translated that the most into your coaching and even just personal life? Quite a bit. I think it's hard to choose one or two, but I think probably. The biggest one that started with coaching and then like, I don't know, as coaches, we all say that like we're teaching life lessons and things like that. But I think probably the one that personally for me started as like a coaching thing and then worked its way into my personal life was just this uh, like breathing moment that you probably remember that we did before every practice and every game and every meeting where we just take a moment and we sort of bring ourselves present. And I think that um, that exercise you know, to be honest with you, I think it started as like a, not a shtick, but like it started as a thing where we're going to be like, we're really going to push this. We're really going to have the kids really try to take a breath and probably 50% of them aren't going to want to do it. But as long as they're not disturbing the 50% who do want to do it, then it should be fine. And it just so happened that we had, I think that first year we had 29, 30 kids on the team. And so the, the thing with the, the thing with the breath too, is that it takes, it does take a lot of practice. Like it does, Taking a breath is really easy, but taking like a purposeful breath and understanding what that moment is all about actually does take a lot of practice. So we had a lot of kids like trying it out. I remember that first season doing it, but like not sure what to do with it. And that was on purpose. Like we're just saying, just for now, just take a breath. We'll, we're not going to on day one teach you how to be the perfectly mindful centered person. But it was like, for now, just take a breath. And then like by week two, we were talking about like setting intentions for the day and for the next couple of hours that we were going to be out there. And then by week three, we were talking about like being fully present by like feeling the turf under your knee and like feeling the breeze on your back and hearing whatever sounds you heard right then. And then the real work comes when high school kids who you go to a school like Lakeside, they've got a ton of stuff going on. How are when they sit down to take that mindful breath and they start to think about like math class or whatever, you know, they got going on, all the other things they got going on, how can they bring themselves back to it? And that's just really difficult work, not just as a football player, but as a, as a person, that's a really hard thing to do. And so that started as like this coaching stick, but I found myself like starting to use it in my, in my professional life, in my personal life, just um, trying to be as present as possible. You know, it, it 
I use it when I'm like going into meetings that I, I work in like three different offices here on campus. So it's like, if I'm translate, if I'm going from like athletics to communication, sometimes it's hard to make that transition. So I'll try to take a moment to become present before I go into another meeting or something like that. And it helps because coaching matters to me. And it, it also matters to me that like, I believe in what I'm saying to the kids. So when I'm asking kids to take a breath and when I'm asking them to become a little bit more present, it helps that I, I do those things. I don't try to like, see, I do it. Like it doesn't come from like that kind of place. It comes from like a, I'm not going to ask you to do it if I don't do it myself kind of a place. So that's probably the biggest one that's really translated from his work and what we've done with the football team here to my own, my own personal life. But there's been a lot of just thinking about, you know, if there's been a lot of things that we've talked about over the years and his work keeps evolving and with new crops of kids here and with new agendas here on our football team, his work changes a lot too. So every year there's something that I, that I take with me, but the breath thing, the, like the minute for a breath has really been the thing that has carried with me through this whole process, I think. Awesome. I mean, I, I think I can definitely relate. You talk about taking things from your own coaching and the skills you pick up there and applying it to your personal life. Really taking things from my experiences as an athlete, particularly in my time here, has been really useful. And I think uh, I, I know myself has continued to use the breath and need be like before a big exam or even before studying for a big exam, trying to find that center. Yeah. Um, it's been a skill that has been increasingly important, I think, especially as life has gotten so crazy over the last two years. Yeah, there's a there's a story that we still tell that is about you using that moment actually. So there, whenever we like, we talk about not just doing it before practices and games, but like even sometimes in the middle of games, like when you feel uh, or practices that you feel like you're distracted, that you can use it to come back. And I won't tell the whole story, but there's a whole, there's a very specific moment that I remember with you doing that, where you came off the field, maybe you missed a tackle or something like that. And somebody went over to go coach you and you kind of just waved them off and you were by yourself for a minute on a knee, taking a breath and uh, came back and had a great game. So that's an example we use all the time. Thanks. And I, I think along with the breath, another powerful thing that I took away from my time playing for you here and just my time playing for Lakeside in general before you stepped up as the head coach was the team mantras we had. I, I remember, I think it was my freshman year, it was find your why. I mean, even like the first episode of this podcast I started was titled The Why, and it was about why I was really going about doing this. And I think that's something everybody needs to take a moment and assess internally. And then as you took over, we got Ascend and Chase. And in a second, I'm going to ask you to explain your own meanings for those and what, what really you took away from them and which ones, maybe if, if you do have a favorite, which one which one it was. But I know personally in my own my own struggles, finding... Things like Ascend, really focusing on that because you're, you're always going to have these little peaks and you're always going to have these valleys. And I think it's really important when you reach either of those extremes, keeping, keeping the lessons and the team mantra in mind has been particularly useful too. I, I guess like when, as soon as you reach a high, you got to keep in mind that there's going to be something wanting to pull you back down. You got to chase that other peak. Like I know in my personal issues with um, body image and weight, what once you lose those first 10 pounds you can either celebrate the win and get a little lazy, which I know I, I have in the past, but uh, you got to focus on what, whatever you got to do to push through that, maybe a plateau or what it, whatever it is, or perhaps I've had like a little uptick in my, in my mental state and I've sort of come to a good place with my history of depression or anxiety um, and really pushing through and making sure I can get a sustained or a continued improvement out of that and not allowing myself to dip back down after that. 
And then especially with Chase, it's been one I've kept in my mind, particularly over the last year. And I, I think it carries really well with Ascend and really working on always improving yourself and how, how can you continue to chase after that better version of yourself. And I think those two things, those two words are probably some that I'll carry well into my future and well into my personal life. Yeah. So yeah, I wanted to hear your own story with those. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that they still mean something. I, that's the point of them. It helps. It's cool that we get to say a cool word together on the football field, but the point is that they mean something to somebody. I mean, not, not always going to be everybody, but that they mean something to somebody is what's really important. Ascend was a cool one because it was my first one as a head coach, and I think we really like caught lightning in a bottle with that one. That came from just my – I just have a, a fascination with like mountain climbing and um, adventure, not adventure, nonfiction, and stuff like that. And I had just happened to be talking with this, talking with this guy who uh, runs like a mountaineering club here in Seattle, and he said this quote, and I, this had nothing to do with like coaching football. I, I did not go into like wanting to talk to this guy, thinking I want to take something out of it to help coach this football team. But he said this thing: the top is just the place where you turn around. That really resonated with me, and it was like I don't know. I again not thinking about this as. I didn't go into there thinking like I got to take something away to be a good coach here, but that was like, man, if there's any good metaphor for like winning or losing a football game, you just got to start all over again the next week. Even after doing something like this guy has summited Everest like three times and led, led tours up K2 and Mount Rainier and all these kinds of amazing things. And that he sure celebrated for a moment. I mean, there's like physical limitations to how long you can be on top. So like the, the court's a little bit more literal, I think for mountain climbers, but that it's like getting up is ha literally half of it. Getting down is a whole nother thing, you know, that you gotta, you gotta make sure you're focused on and staying present for. So when those two sort of worlds collided of like working on present, present focus with Dr. Altshuler and then hearing that quote and then just the word ascend and you know, that we got that cool, like ice axe and stuff. It was a really cool, it was a really cool one. And we debated for a long time whether or not ascend was going to continue on and do the next year too. But I'll talk about that in a second, <clears throat> but we decided that perhaps we don't want themes to sort of run past their course a little bit. And so we started doing research to leave Ascend where it was and to start a new one. And that's where we thought of Chase because I was working with a guy called Danny Mackey, who's the head coach of the Brooks Beasts, this professional running team out of the Brooks brand here in Seattle. And he spoke to me about like, well, people who are professional runners have been running for a long, long time. So they've got like running down what they need to figure out. Like professional runners oftentimes have to figure out like why they still do this. Um, they can go out and they can run forever and they can do these incredible workouts and they can run these really fast times. But what really keeps runners, at least in his world, motivated are like remembering why they do it. And so they use this theme. Uh, it's not, I can't remember what they actually say, but it's similar. It's similar to Chase, but it's all about like thinking of like the person that you want to be is like a stride ahead of you at all times. And like even if you're winning a race, you're still chasing this thing around the track or around the course, wherever you're running. And that one, I think, is even less football related. At least with Ascend, there's some ties to like a football game. But with Chase, it's just about this continuous, continuous battle. So we, we adopted that one as like there's always a better version of yourself on the football field. There's a better version of yourself off the football field that you're always striving to be. And we can, as a team, we can win 100 to nothing, but we can still be better the next week. Um, so we're always chasing that thing. So that worked out. That was a really good one too. And then we switched that one. Um, I'd been using a, a phrase for a while unrelated to ascend and unrelated to chase, but sort of a similar side phrase 
but this phrase, welcome to the fight, which I heard at the University of Colorado's football team. Their coach said it. I asked one of the players what they think he meant by that. And they're like, I don't know. I think he just thinks it's something cool to say. But like there was really something there. And when I spoke to their like their video team there too, was also, I was doing like a professional development trip for my like media job here at Lakeside. And it was the video team there who said, well, we think it means like the fight to be a better person every single day, the fight to do all the little things right, um, those kinds of things. And it translates to football because fight's a really like football-y word. And, you know, you say it before a football game and it gets people riled up and all that. But really, it's this it's this mantra about like what, we, what I stole from them was that like it's really hard even just to get out of bed in the morning sometimes, no matter what you're facing, no matter how good your life is. Sometimes it's just really hard to get out of bed and you have to like fight off the desire to stay in bed. You have to fight off that. If that's what's if that's what's best for you, you to get out of bed, it takes some fight to get out of bed. It takes some fight to do the first thing on your list that day. It takes some fight to fail and to lift your head back up and do something again. And it takes some fight to win at something and remember that you're still not the best at that thing. So you can keep going. And so that, so we've used fight now for the last three years. It's, it's done some awesome things for us. And back to what I was saying about not allowing phrases to sort of run their course. I think that fight has been my favorite one that we've used because I've been saying it for a really long time. It only officially has been like our, our team phrase for the last three years but we may have gotten all that we can get out of it as like an official phrase. And so I'm a little bit worried about being able to say it and like mean it. Cause it's definitely something that I use just with my own, in my own personal life. And I, I I'm a little worried about being able to continue to say it without getting some like eye rolls or, or something like that. But um, our mantra for the next season might be different, but I still anticipate that being a really, a really important part of like what I do and my messaging to the team. Because I, I believe it that it, it takes to, to, to be a person in the world. I think it takes a lot of you have to learn how to fight for things and you have to learn how to fight away things and learn what you're fighting for. So it's super important to me. And that's been my favorite one. Ascend was a really cool one. Uh, and that just that word just brings back a lot of memories, too. So but I think fight's been my favorite one that we've had so far. And then I, I think one that really comes down more of maybe a sub mantra, but I think also just your own personal philosophy was really staying positive. And I think one that, that one came through particularly strong with the Brooks uh, running team leader. Yeah. I remember you telling the story of the, the guy who was trying to break the record for the marathon and he had friends showing up at every every mile yeah. with, with posters with inside jokes and, and how every every time he smiled and it, and it really gave him the second wind. And this positivity, I think, is one that you really don't see much in sports. Everybody wants to have their game face on. Everybody wants to be serious. And I think, as you said, Fight, toughness, these are all important things, especially sports like football, hockey, yeah. bat- I mean, really just any any sports. Of course, toughness is an incredibly valuable asset, but I think loosening up once in a while is, is also in- incredibly important. Uh, obviously, a bunch of famous athletes, there are athletes who like do a shot of their favorite alcohol before, before an NFL game yeah. and things like that. And I think, obviously, those options aren't really available to high school athletes <laughs> right. or even most college yeah. ones, but I think... The, there's a huge value in loosening up and really taking a second to admire, like, this is fun. And, and I mean, I've gotten some weird, weird looks in, in when, I, when I got to my college career and things weren't necessarily going, going our way and maybe I'd let it slip of, like, oh, just, like, smile, like, t- take a breather. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd get some weird looks, like I was some sort of jackass, like, do you see the scoreboard right now? Yeah. Like, how do you expect me to do that? Yeah. But I, I, it's something personally I carried away super heavily from it. 
I, I think was an extremely unique experience that I received from your coaching. And I know I've carried it into my own coaching of swim team and stuff. And even from yeah. 10, 12 year old kids, it gets the weirdest looks of like, this is the biggest meet of the year. What the, what the <laughs> heck are you talking about? So I think you sort of expanded on that at the start, talking about how you are trying to do things different from the, the hard asses that you've necessarily been coached by. But obviously you have such this positive aura that you carry yourself with and you carry to everybody who has the privilege of playing for you is is this constant support and positivity. And I, I was wondering if you could just maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah, that was another thing that I think I learned more about after working more with Kevin and particularly around the chase around the chase theme that like, yeah, there there are I think it was Meb who was running that marathon, like the Boston Marathon. And yeah, he had friends like with jokes to make him laugh all throughout the course. And like we started to learn about that. And we read this book together called uh, I think it was called Endure, which was a runner up for motto for that year. But Endure implies like you're going through bad things all the time. And we learned that like biologically smiling does different things to your body that help you be more present and help you even be more competitive. Whereas like if you're all tensed up and your heart rate is going super fast, that you're more likely to not perform your best or even to get hurt in some cases. And that's what smiling does is it relaxes your body, especially if it's like a natural smile, it relaxes your body. It sends like different kinds of dopamine through your body that you tend to relax a little bit more and enjoy what you're doing a little bit more and have feel a little bit less pressure, which is where the human body really starts to excel. So we started to learn about that. And he tells me, I mean, he tells me to this day that like, I should consider like telling jokes at during timeouts because usually we use timeouts. I mean, every football team has like strategic timeouts, but sometimes we use them too. And we just tell that our kids are just really tense and really feeling a lot of pressure or not hands on hips or whatever. And we'll call a timeout and I'll hear him in the headset, like tell it, like he'll literally just say, tell a joke when we get out there. And that's hard to do. I mean, it's, I'm not good at that because that's hard to go out there and look at 11 high school football players who are sweating and and like giving everything they have and they're looking at me to have an answer and to go out there and like tell a joke might not (laughs) it's harder it's harder to like make that come to life than than I want it to be but yeah I mean it's something that is sort of a core principle for myself as a coach and something that I hold our coaches to super high standards of too and something also that I had a I, I had a I had a bad year with that this year I not that I was an angry negative coach all the time but I certainly like didn't live up to the type of coach that I'm trying to be all the time this last season i had i had some some thin patience moments and things like that but as far as like what we're trying to be and who we're who we're trying to inspire and how we're trying to do it i think it's of the utmost importance that kids know that they're doing things right and i think one of the things i learned how to do early on in that process was early on in coaching you learn how to have kids be able to tell you what they did wrong so that you don't have to tell them to, all the time so like if a kid cuts a post at eight yards instead of 10 yards, you know, and they, the ball's overthrown, you can be like, what'd you do wrong? And they'll be like, well, I cut it eight yards. And like, that's a really helpful tool in coaching. But we started to say like, well, let's also ask kids what they did right and see what that does. And I remember asking it for the first time and the kid had no idea how to answer that question. Like there's no, you're just not used to, you do something right. And you normally a coach comes up and goes, yeah, you cut that post at 10 yards. You made the great catch and you tucked the ball and you got up field. But a coach coming up to you and going like, yeah, yeah, what'd you do right? And the kid was just kind of like, uh. So that was an interesting mechanism to just sort of let kids know that I know, I already know what you did right. I want you to tell me that you know what you did right. So that way you feel good about what you did. 
And then there's this whole aspect of like shouting praise and whispering criticism, which has been a thing that I learned when I started doing research on like positive coaching and the effects on like when you hear a kid getting reamed by a coach, what that does to like confidence in that kid's ability to execute and in, in their knowledge of the game and their stature on the team and all that kind of stuff. And the philosophy with that is that like, if I yell at a kid because they did something wrong, when we call that play on the field, the kids are going to go, well, this is what happened last time we did that. And they're not going to have a ton of confidence in that kid. But then if they remember me like freaking out or any coach freaking out because they did something really right, even if it's just a little thing that that's what they're more likely going to remember. And they'll have a lot more confidence in their ability to execute that play uh, moving forward. So I think for everything that we're trying to do as a program and everybody that uh, the people, the type of coach that I'm trying to be, it really comes down to being as, as positive as possible, especially towards the kids and towards the coaches that I'm that I'm working with not just like to myself or something like that so yeah it's been an interesting it's been an interesting journey to try to figure out like how that adapts from year to year too so something that I thought I was really good at my first two years and then like year three four and then through the COVID season and all that I started to really get tested and I've I've figured out that that chase that whole chase and ascend thing like I still got work to do yeah so it's been interesting and I'm excited to keep learning about it and then I guess sort of beyond sports. We've been talking a lot about how these these general themes can really be carried beyond the field and into the personal life. And you're you're obviously known for so much more around campus than just the football coach. You have so many other roles. And I mean, you definitely have a presence. I guess everybody kind of knows you and all, all the other different things that you contribute to this school and to this athletic program. To what would you attribute particularly living a well-rounded athletic life? Because I think you talk a lot about finding that balance. And I think that's something that I really struggled with when I got to high school because it wasn't something as built into the program as you were able to do here. And um, there's definitely different responsibilities at a collegiate level, but finding balance between sports, life, school are, will always be a difficult task no matter, no, no matter who's facing it. I mean, how would you explain your own approach to that and how you've been able to build up a, an athletic program while still being able to respect the other extracurricular interests and academic interests of your players? Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's one of those things that I think helps. I'm learning from the coaches that I had to try to do things a little bit differently than they were doing them. There, there is, you know, the first, I think the first question you asked me was like, was there a specific, is there some, are there moments that you can recall that helped define you? And this isn't a necessarily positive one, but it's something that I think about all the time. I'm a, was a musician. I don't play a ton anymore, but it was particularly a huge part of my life in high school and in college. I was like, I remember I was like a, so, I think I was a sophomore. Our varsity team was in the playoffs and he, they always like called up the JV sophomores to be on the sidelines during the playoff games because it was this cool experience for them. And that's a really big deal in the program that I grew up in a lot of programs to be a sophomore that gets called up to be like in the state, to be on the sidelines during the state playoffs and all that kind of stuff. But I remember I had this, I had this concert that I had to play. I think it was like my grandfather's retirement party or something like that. And something that was really important to me. And my grandfather was really important to me. He was a huge influential figure in the public school system in Pennsylvania. He was having this huge party and my cousin and I were supposed to play like this song and I was going to miss a, I think a practice. I think it was like a Thursday practice before a Friday game in order to go do this thing. And I went and told him and he, I remember very specifically my, my coach in high school told me that I needed to get my priorities straight. And it was like, as a sophomore, I was like, okay, well that makes sense. He's mad at me because I'm missing this practice. But like, 
now I'm 36 and I'm looking back at that and going like, I had my priorities perfectly straight. Like, first of all, that's like a family engagement that nobody should ever say no to. Second of all, music was a bigger interest in my life at the time, probably still to this day than, than football was. And it's not like I was a starting quarterback. That doesn't mean that I'm, I should be held any less accountable, but like, it's not like I was a starting quarterback. I was like the sophomore, one of the like seven sophomore call-ups that, or seven or eight, however many, that got called up just to be there. And I guess with the benefit of like age and hindsight and experience, what I take away from that moment is that not everybody is going to drop their lives in order to play football for Lakeside or for me or for whoever, for whatever reason. That especially at Lakeside, kids here have a lot of things going on in school and out of school and things that I don't need to know about and things that if they want to tell me about it, that, that that's what they got going on and that's fine. But that I, I think what I want to be able to do is trust that they're able to prioritize the things that feel like priorities to them over something that's not the biggest priority. Of course, I want, I would love it if everybody's priority, if everybody on the football team's priority was football, that'd be, that'd be great. But the reality is that that's not the case. So if I were to stand in front of the room and tell everybody that for the next three and a half months, your life is football in school, then we probably wouldn't have a football program. I also think that like, that's what attracts me to coaching at a school like this is that I get the opportunity to tell a kid that it's okay to miss practice. Cause you got to go be in a jazz performance or you got to go do service work or you got to go hang out with your family or something like that. That's, that's a real opportunity for me rather than like a blow to our football program, because that's the type of school that I, again, with the benefit of hindsight, wish I would have gone to. I would have loved if I had stood there and told my head coach, I got to play at this thing. And he'd asked me like, what song are you going to play? Or I didn't know you played an instrument, what instrument or something like that, like engaged with me about it rather than just immediately criticize a decision that I was, I, honestly, I wasn't even making. It was just, a, I knew that I was going to be going to do this thing. That's, that's kind of my philosophy is that I, it's a real privilege to be able to work at a school and work at a, work with a group of kids who want to give their time to football. And for a lot of them, they will sacrifice other things for football. But every now and then there's a kid or a group of kids who they've got other things going on. Not every now and then all the time, actually, there's groups of kids that have other things going on. And some, in some cases there are like state and league and school rules that I have to enforce, which kind of sucks, but usually that's a conversation. But if it's just like, kids have other interests and they want to make sure they're not sacrificing those things in order to play football, then I'm more than happy to at least have that conversation with them rather than just tell them yes or no. And so that's, I think, where that comes from for me is that one specific moment. I think about it quite a bit because it, it drives a lot of the decisions that I make out there. Yeah. As far as like well-rounded life and stuff like that, I think that just, there are probably people that would say I, I don't, during the football season, I'm not very well-rounded, that that's kind of becomes, becomes my life, but that's a decision that I'm making, not a result of anything being too overwhelming or anything like that. So I, I think I find times to be able to do the things that I want to do. I still pick up a guitar every now and then and, and stuff like that. But I think that what's important to me is that people feel comfortable coming to me and saying, I have something else that's really, really important to me and not being afraid to, of, my, of my response to that. And I think, I think you sort of talked about like your guitar and stuff, but obviously you do so much as far as like the media work at the school and obviously you have so many creative outlets. And I think personally, that's something that I've been able to channel through starting up this podcast and it's something that brings me a lot of 
um, both enjoyment and also a lot of peace to really sort of separate from from the other aspects of life and even the more serious parts. And I know even the media stuff's part of your job, but just from every, everything I see about your engagement with social media, as far as it goes, it's something that is so important and you enjoy so thoroughly. And you, and you talk about music and art, and I think sort of sports detracted from my own ability to really follow music and follow some things that had been pretty decent passions of mine yeah. um, when I was growing up. And I, how do you think those other extracurriculars help shape you and really help benefit your athletic side? And obviously, you, you speak to, as a coach, really respecting and understanding, wanting to have both sides of your life. But really, how, how did those extracurriculars away from football really help you become who you are and which ones in particular? Yeah, I think music definitely was the biggest one. I don't know. I've always felt like this is probably a scientifically inaccurate thing to say, but I think that like creative people are creative. There's no, they're not like only creative in music and not in something else. Like I would say that if you put Miles Davis in a kitchen, he'd probably cook something pretty good, you know, and he just has that ability. People like that have that ability to translate reading music or playing music or painting a picture or building a house or producing a podcast or something like that into other areas of their life if they it's what it's not difficult to be creative it's difficult to translate creativity and I think not that I have done that but I think growing up playing a lot of music and growing up I was like into drawing when I was a kid and like that kind of art when I was a kid and then I started playing music when I was like 10 years old and then I'm like in college and in high school a little bit and then after college I dabbled in like acting and theater and stuff like that and that's always just been a part of me I think because of my interests and because of the people that I hung around with when I was in high school and in college but also I've found that there are ways, I mean, there are ways to translate musical creativity to coaching football and to the design work that I do here at the school or some of the video work that I do here too. And I, I just think that like keeping that part of your brain active and exercised helps in other areas. Just like if you run 10 miles every single day and you're in really good shape, it's not, it's not helping you only run 10 miles better. It's helping you do a lot of other things in your life better and it's helping your body be more healthy and, and things like that. And so similarly, if you can exercise your brain and your creativity and things like that, it's going to help you in other areas of your life too. So I, I mean, music for me has been the biggest one. It still is the biggest one. I don't play as often as I used to anymore, but I'm always listening to and talking about and thinking about music. And, and I think that it's funny. My brother and I talk about this a lot too, but I get a big kick out of like pairing music with, moments in football have you ever heard of like you ever heard of this i think it's called like synesthesia people that like can hear colors and stuff like that i always feel like when i'm watching lakeside football or any kind of football play like i'm always i'm always pairing like a soundtrack to it you know whatever's happening on the football field i'm always pairing like a musical thing with it and so music's been the biggest one for me it's just it's involved in every area of my life and i was really really serious about it for a long time and i think my practice through that allows me to at least try to be creative in other areas of my life and what I'm doing right now. And it's at least opened doors a good chunk of my professional life now as graphic design, which before I entered the professional world, I had zero, pretty much ex zero experience with. It's just something that I wanted to try because it was some new creative endeavor. And now it's like my career almost. So I think it's, yeah, I'm going off on a bunch of tangents, but I, I feel like they've all, music, music in particular was the one extracurricular thing for me that helped guide all the decisions that I've made even if I wasn't actively thinking about it that way. Awesome. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I obviously don't want to take too much more of your time away from you, but uh, no, it's all right. kind of want to bring everything we've talked about today back together. Yeah. Given how much success you've had reaching young men and athletes in their really formative, really important years, high school is a really tumultuous time. Mm -hmm. I know it was 
personally a really hard time for me, and I know my experiences being coached here were all very different than what I'd experienced before, and I'm not sure I would have quite kept playing athletics as long if I wasn't able to be reached in, in the particular ways that I was here. And I guess going forward, as far as the intersection of mental health and sports, what would you personally like to see come out of the athletic community as far as reaching and discussing these really increasingly relevant issues? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think that everything has to start with being like identified first. So what's that? There's like a scientific saying that like you can't solve a problem without identifying a problem first. I think that it's starting to become a little bit more normal to talk about mental health these days, but there's still so much stigma around calling people who are trying to talk about mental health names or people who are not educated or experts. Or not even experts, but even educated in certain fields, like saying what's really happening here, you know. But remember when Michael Phelps retired and he was like, I'm just tired of staring at a black line. Like, there's more that I want to do with my life. And I mean, people came out and berated that guy for making a decision for himself and his own like mental sanity. And of, of course, he, he's got a lot of pressure on him as the guy that he is. And a lot of people were like counting on him and looking up to him and all kinds of things like that. But man, if we can't just talk about what's bothering us, and if we can't say out loud, if we don't have a space or not even a space, but like a person to say that like something's really bothering me, whether or not it's like illness or just health or well-being related, uh, then we're never going to, we're never going to fix it. And people are just going to continue to be put in boxes and under put in shadows and things like that, where they just never feel like they can talk about it. And that's where some people are strong enough to not have to talk about it, but a lot of people need to be able to talk about it. I think everybody would benefit from talking about it. And certainly people who like, you know, I, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember that. Like if I had said, I mean, I tried to tell my coach that like I had other interests uh, and that didn't work out. And so like, I'm also old enough to know or to remember saying like, this, I need a little, time for myself and like we're thinking that at least and like not being not having a real space to be able to do that that wasn't something that especially in like men's sports I mean that's all I know but men's and boys sports I just feel like the stigmas of people wanting to focus on their mental health it's not a very healthy space I'm sure that's the case I didn't I only grew up playing men's and boys sports so that's the only space that I know but I'm sure it's just similar across no matter what sports you're playing that like being able to talk about these things, being able to identify problems and being able to validate and not dismiss people's problems is a really important thing too. So I think the biggest thing that I'd just anywhere that I'd like to see start changing and it's starting to thankfully, but we're again, we're still fighting against it a little bit is just the ability to talk about it openly and not need to have critics wherever you go and be, or even be worried about critics. I think that's a big driving factor in people not wanting to talk about it is they don't want to hear from other people that they're fine and that they're just being a wuss or other horrible names that people get called. So that's why I try to keep lines of communications open with, with players that I coach and people that I know and to be able to talk about things like that. I also try to like provide time and space for, and, and let kids know like with a purpose, like this is a time for you to, do this, to, to focus on this, to talk about this, or to not, whatever it is that you need to do. And so that's something that I'm always thinking about is people being able to talk about it. And that's why I'm, I'm proud to like hear from you and to be a part of this, because I know this is something that you're using to, to talk more about it. And the first episode or two episodes that you've talked about some really deeply personal stuff for you, and I'm hoping that it's helping you in this whole process, because I think that's what's in, that's Sometimes all it takes is just being able to let it off your shoulders and get it away from yourself, you know. Not all that it takes, but it's a, it's a great starting point. 
just to feel comfortable talking about it. So I'm super proud of you for starting this thing. I'm super proud to have to help you out with it in this case. And um, this is what I want. I think not to be on podcasts, but like to have people start talking about it more openly and feel less afraid to hear what other people might think about it because that's not what's important. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Obviously, I totally agree with you on on all those fronts. I guess with that, just any last last bit of wisdom to impart? <laughs> no, I don't think so, man. Again, this was uh, this was awesome. I was glad I was glad to come on and talk to you about this kind of stuff. I think that if there's anything that I've learned just over, I mean, like I've known you now, I've known you since you're like seventh grade, dude, so it's been a long time. And the last couple of your years here at high school, I think were the ones where you and I really started to form a real good relationship. And I think that what I've learned through that is that. I didn't know a ton about stuff you were personally going through, but I sure am glad that you saw some comfort in me to be able to like listen to me and trust the things that I was doing and all that. But I think what I'm, what I'm really, what I'm really thankful for is that our relationship has continued through that and that you're using a platform like this to start talking about some stuff that was going on with you because keeping it a secret isn't helping anybody and helping you. It's not allowing people to want to help you or talk to you about it. So echoing the answer to that last question if people just keep talking about it i think it really helps obviously i agree and i am grateful for the way things have progressed as well yeah there are so many things i look back on and wouldn't have made it through quite nearly as smoothly without your guidance whether you knew it or not but uh nice obviously man. very appreciative for everything you've done and i think this school could even say an even more resounding thank you and it's just been awesome to have you on and just yeah. really everything coming together. And I'm so, so thankful that you were willing to do this and share your own stories. With that, I thank you. I bid you adieu. Yeah. And I uh, hope you have a happy New Year's, Coach. Yeah, you too, man. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that interview and maybe picked up a few tricks of your own. Coach's practices were extremely key to my own ability to pursue my love of football while fighting my own personal battles in the background, and so many can take away a great deal from his newer ideas and practices in the world of sports. I have started a blog offering resources, personal narratives, and anonymous submissions as a way to expand the conversations that are hopefully started on this show. Through the first month of all this, I am so appreciative for all the conversations it has already sparked and the personal growth that I myself have fostered. I look forward to continuing this process and please reach out to me anytime through the Instagram page or anonymously through the survey. The link's in the bio and I'm always here. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody. Per usual, I can't wait to continue to grow with you. Have a great day. <laughs>